also extend a welcome to each one here this morning, a number of visitors. It's already been mentioned that uh, it looks like we're, summer is fast disappearing, and the attendance here evidences that as well. A number, it seems like we're <clears throat> getting past the peak of vacations and, and, and travels and all, and a, a little better attendance here this morning than has been some of the past Sunday mornings. So welcome each one. <clears throat> also acknowledge that Eli Glick is here. Good to have you here with us, Eli. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, the first verse, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. I wonder how that affects you. I wonder what would happen if all of us would and I'm first, um, daily. Just meditate on this verse for a moment or two. <clears throat> Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Behold, beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. <clears throat> Just curious if there's anybody who has a, a thought that you were burning in your was burning in your heart and mind and you didn't have opportunity or you didn't take the opportunity in your Sunday school class to share. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we can be called sons of God. Daughter of God. Mm -hmm. The one song we sang, If e'er I go astray, he doth my soul reclaim and guides me in his own right way. <clears throat> Thank you, Marcus, for reading uh, James chapter 1, 19 through 27. One of the things I like about the book of James is that, it, as Marcus mentioned, it is simple. It is easy to understand. And really, if, if we boil it down to, to what it really is, the gospel is that way as well, right? It's easy for us to understand. It's not difficult. It's not some kind of enshrouded or, or mysterious language uh, that it's written in, but we can understand it. <clears throat> And recently I uh, read through this portion of scripture and was the, the verse 19 stood out to me. And that's going to be our focus in, in the message this morning. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. James has so much practical information, practical guidance for us in our walk with the Lord, in our everyday relationships with our fellow men. And I wonder, some, again, this morning as we gather together, you know, what your week was like, what all took place in your week. We all get together Sunday mornings, and then we go, and sometimes it seems like we don't see each other much. We have very little contact through the week, and then we get back together on Sunday mornings. And I, I look at um, our Amish neighbors and friends, and 
there's there's a there's a little different picture there. They're a little more close knit community, and and they they see each other throughout the week. And maybe there's maybe it's it's not quite like I, I see it either. But I think about that, and so I wonder what your week was like this week, and what all <clears throat> was on your heart this week, or what all went through your mind this week. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. This verse starts out with the word wherefore, and some of us would remember Aidan Troyer. Whenever I see this word, I often think of Aidan Troyer, and I could hear him in his booming booming voice say, well, whenever there's a wherefore, we have to see what the wherefore is there for. And what is this wherefore, therefore? What's he referring to? He's referring to the previous verses in this, this chapter of James, the first section of verses talks about patience and and difficulties in life and tribulation and trials and temptation is the word that is used and then he shifts the 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 use of the word temptation to that of what we would normally think of when we think of temptation temptation with sin in our lives and moves on to verse 15 or 16 do not err my beloved brethren every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So I think he's tying it back to, and I'm thinking especially verse 17 and 18. Now I don't want to limit it to that, but I, I think in particular it's, it's tying back to 17 and 18, and keeping in mind that everything good and anything perfect comes from God. Keeping in mind that God is steadfast, is steadfast and faithful. There's no variableness. There's no shadow of turning with him. And keeping in mind in verse 18 that of his own will begat he us, very similar to our Sunday school lesson today, of his own will. It's only by God's sovereign designed by his sovereign goodness that he bestows on us the opportunity to be sons of God and daughters of God by his sovereign goodness and by his word of truth. Wherefore, based on that, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I'm going to look at these three individual. Swift to hear, so we have, just from a physical perspective, two ears and one mouth. Um, does that tell us anything about the proportion of how things should be? And I know there's differences in personalities, and some, some people are more inclined to, to uh, and are more withdrawn and don't speak as quickly as others, um, and others tend to speak more quickly. We'll leave that with the Lord. But we have two ears and one mouth. And it's by hearing and by seeing um, that hearing and seeing are the primary means of receiving information into our, our minds. We have the five senses, but primarily hearing and seeing are the main ways that information is fed into our minds and, and we receive it and process it. Hearers are learners. Hearing here carries the idea of taking in information and understanding it, not just hearing it, 
but also understanding it. <clears throat> and we can take a lot of information in. You know it, and we all know it. We can, we can hear a lot, and it can just go right through in one ear and out the other sometimes we say, and we don't get it. We don't really hear it. We don't really understand it. Ephesians 4 talks about hearing and understanding in reference to the Gentiles, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness in their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, learned having received, heard, and understood Verse 21, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The Gentiles' understanding was darkened. They were alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that was in them. And Paul is calling us to hearing and learning Christ and understanding what we hear. Hebrews 4 verse 2 says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So there you have a number of things going on. You have the speaking of the word. You have the hearing of the word, which would be the receiving and the understanding, and mixed with faith and believing it. And then it becomes effective to, to, uh, to us. <clears throat> Hebrews 2 verse 1 Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So there's responsibility on our part as we receive, as we hear and understand what is being said or what we read. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a responsibility on our part to, to, to uh, process it and to receive it and to not let it slip and not let it get away from us. I remember so well as a, as a young man when I was attending CBS, I got a letter from my uncle, and uh, he had not had an opportunity to attend a Bible school himself in his growing up years, but had become converted, had joined a church, and, and then it was after that, um, he was married, had a family, and he wrote a letter to me while I was at CBS. I'll never forget what he, he told me. He said, you have the opportunity to learn. And you have, but you, with that carries a responsibility to put to work what you've learned. I've never forgotten that. <clears throat> Hearing generates a, typically generates a response. Think about it. it. Depends on what you hear. How do you respond? It, 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 it um, hearing what we hear can affect our emotions. In Acts two, there where Peter was preaching and. Verse 37 says that they were, the people heard, they were pricked in their hearts. They were convicted, and many repented. They said, what are we supposed to do? So there was a hearing, there was an understanding, and then there was a response. And there, a response of repentance, and many, many were baptized that day. On the other hand, in Acts chapter 5, verse 33, <clears throat> when the high priests and the chief priests heard what Peter had to say, they were cut to the heart, the Bible says. So there was a response. They heard, they were cut to the heart, but they responded in anger against what they heard. Psalm 
So hearing generates a response, a, a varied response in our in our um, in our person, in our emotions, in our minds. Some things we hear cause us to rejoice or to laugh. Some things cause us to cry. Some things cause us anger, as we see here. And then in verses 22 and 23, and I'll touch more on that more toward the end of the message in, in James 1 here, he talks about being doers of the word and not hearers only. So the hearing needs to produce a response in our lives and will. Sometimes we hear and we don't respond. So maybe there's two things I think that could happen with that. That be cause that. Um, maybe we just didn't understand. So there is a hearing that happens without the understanding and it doesn't produce a response. Or maybe we just simply didn't hear and somebody was talking directly at you and you didn't hear. Um, probably all of us had our moms or dads say some at one point in our lives, do you hear me? You know, and and the the, the the question isn't, do you hear so much as do you understand? And with that, then there was an expectation, expectation that with the hearing there would be a response. <clears throat> so this begs the question, then, what keeps us from hearing? Because sometimes it seems like we don't hear or we don't understand, we don't receive what God is wanting us to see. And that takes me back to Ephesians chapter 4, the portion I read from earlier, where the Gentiles, they were walking in the vanity of their mind. Their, their understanding was darkened. And the foolishness of their mind here led to a moral depravity. And so they had given themselves over to... Uh, to the base, even things that were just really ungodly and not against the way, and were against the way God created for them to be. And they, they had been walking in the vanity of their mind, and their understanding was darkened as a result of it. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 5, uh, I don't think, I think the high priests heard, but there was a block in their minds, and it was. It seems like they, maybe they were stuck in, do you want to call it pride or, or um, stubbornness? They, they weren't open-minded. And so what they heard, what they were observing in the lives of the apostles was convicting to them. But they were stuck in their minds. They were, they were stuck in a rut, we might say. And they refused to receive what they heard. And they, they responded in anger. I think another thing that keeps us from hearing is simply distractions of life. If we aren't intentional about hearing, we can become overwhelmed by the distractions of life. And I won't disappoint you. I will mention technology um, because it's just there in front of us. It's just a part of us. And, but there's other distractions as well, many distractions of life that keep us from hearing <clears throat> Sometimes we need to step aside and be intentional about just calming our spirit and taking time to hear. And that's what I was convicted of this morning in our Sunday school lesson, especially in verse 1, you know, to really take the time to pause and to meditate on the wonder of the fact 
that we get to be called sons of God. Someone in our Sunday school class described it that we all have the same DNA now. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same DNA because of God, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that saves us from our sins. Then there's a general sense of hearing that we can apply this uh, to as well. In our, in our relationships and in the way we react and interact with each other, sometimes, at least I have a tendency to, and I guess more of us do too, we, when someone is starting to talk, in our mind starts spinning and we start formulating response before the person is ever finished talking. That's not really hearing. That's not really listening. That's not really practicing the presence of the person. It's the focus is on myself more as much as anything, I believe. So, uh, if you've never read the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, it's an old book, been around for a while, and I would encourage it. Um, not necessarily written from a Christian perspective, but one of the, his habits, the fifth habit that Stephen Covey um, teaches, is to seek first to understand, then to be understood. And that's one thing that when we face difficulties or when we face especially conflicts with each other, um, everything within me wants to defend myself. I want to defend my position. I want you to understand where I'm coming from. But so many times that if I pause and I take the time to understand, to really genuinely engage and inquire and, and figure out and try to get an understanding of where you're coming from, what you're going through, in your life, all of a sudden the walls start dropping and, and then the communication can flow freely. <clears throat> I've watched that a number of times in my job at work. And part of what I do is customer service and um, have occasions where there's, you know, people call and they're distraught or they send nasty emails and, and I, I just everything within me wants to cringe and I just want to you know, set them straight and set this record straight. But if I pause and I stop and I reply and apologize for the issues and apologize, acknowledge their stress, acknowledge their difficulty, all of a sudden we, the things soften up and we can start talking and we can start flowing and we can start working together and all of a sudden the issues <clears throat> are much more easier to, to deal with or to um, overcome than what it seemed like at first. <clears throat> when we respond to what we are hearing from other people before that person is ever finished talking, doesn't that indicate that what I have to say, that I feel like what I have to say is more important than what you have to say? <clears throat> to really hear someone takes time and discipline and I have to wonder, considering the context, considering the wherefore here, that if we really understand ourselves and really understand our position in Christ and how he sees us, if it wouldn't be easier for us to put the other person's needs and cares ahead of our own. <clears throat> Swift to hear, prone to listen. The second one is slow to speak. <clears throat> As we think about this one, you know, I already mentioned the physical aspects of having two ears and one mouth, but think about the five senses. Think about we have one mouth right here. It's we got the two ears, the two eyes, you have two nostrils, and 
the touch sensors all around us, the five senses that we have, all multiple receptors from all the other um, senses that we have, but there's only one mouth. There's only one means. There's all kinds of means of input and receiving um, signals and, and information, but there's only one means to, to put the information out, only one way. Now, granted, there's body language, and I can, you can tell by my frown or my, my, the cloud in my eyes or whatever. Uh, that speaks as well. But there's only one means uh, to which um, output is given. <clears throat> this one is easy for us to understand, I believe, because I believe all of us have been victim or hostage of words, you know, when a person just talks and talks and, and, or we've been hurt by words, or a person we sense isn't receiving or isn't hearing or isn't caring about us. <clears throat> Proverbs 10.19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sins, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. James goes into depth on this subject in chapter 3, and I won't start there. We'll, we'll just touch on it briefly. But he spends quite a number of verses on, the, on our tongue and our words and the effect that our words have on each other. <clears throat> with a bold proclamation in verse 2, that if anyone can control his mouth, he is a perfect man and able to control the rest of himself. Think about that. If, if a person can evidence by controlling his mouth, he gives evidence of having control over the rest of himself. The power of the tongue is compared to what a small bit can do to a large horse. A fascinating thing when you watch especially when you watch the huge workhorses plodding down and you think about the field and you think about what is controlling them is so small. And that's how our tongue is. It also, control, also compared to the control that a small helm has over a large ship in boisterous winds. Our tongue is powerful. Our words are powerful for good or for bad. They can be used either way. The tongue is compared to a raging out of control, forest fire. <clears throat> and in verse 26 of chapter 1, what comes out of, he tells us that what comes out of our mouth makes or breaks your religion. It makes or breaks, it really gives evidence to who you really are. And so, in a sense, it, it makes visible um, who we actually are. <clears throat> Proverbs sixteen twenty four: pleasant words are as in honeycomb sweet to the soul and health to the bones pleasant words are as in honeycomb sweet to the soul and health to the bones the third thing that he mentioned here is slow to wrath wrath is simply uncontrolled anger it's a response to what we've seen or what we've heard. It wells up within us. And if we're not careful, if we're not under control of the Holy Spirit, it can spew out 
and cause all kinds of damage to the people around us. Proverbs 16.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Proverbs 15.18, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Proverbs 25.28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Clear pictures painted for us of what wrath can do. According to an article I found on the internet, one report, in one report, researchers found that healthy people who are often angry or hostile are 19% more likely than calmer people to get heart disease. Among those with heart disease, those who usually feel angry or hostile fare worse than others. So if anger has you in its crosshairs, it's time to shift the way you react to it. That's from a simply, simply a medical perspective. Now, let's not be judging people that have heart disease. It doesn't mean automatically that they're angry, okay? But it's, it is saying that angry people are 19% more likely than calmer people to get heart disease. <clears throat> it does affect us. In verse 20, James says, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The wrath of man is contrary to the goodness of God, is contrary to the good work of God. When we are in a state of wrath, it is difficult for us to reason and receive the truth. It's difficult for us to reason with each other when we're in a state of wrath. I would suggest this morning that one safe way to deal with anger is to bring it to God. He's not intimidated by your passions. He's not too big. I'm sorry, he's not too small to, to, to handle your anger. You can bring it to him. I've had moments, and, and, and I trust you can do this too, where you, you cry out to God and just kind of lay it out. Um, and it's okay. He doesn't mind that. He can handle it. He's big enough for that. <clears throat> so swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to wrath. It's simple. It's not difficult to understand, but it's harder to practice than it is to understand. Let's move on in this portion of Scripture then just to kind of reinforce what is being taught here because in verse 21 we have another wherefore, and I believe this wherefore is referring back to verses 19 and 21, 19 and 20. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I'll pause there for, from reading for a moment. <clears throat> Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, considering these things that we are called to be slow to speak, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. What is this? Filthiness is simply disgusting or offensive conduct. And superfluity of naughtiness is that same thing over the top, you might say, over and above, abounding in evil. Superfluity of naughtiness literally means abounding of evil. Over the top, 
depravity beyond comprehension. This, he says, set apart, lay it apart, lay apart all filthiness, separate yourself from it. A mind full of wickedness and depravity is not a good seedbed for the word of God. Instead, receive with meekness, hear and receive with meekness the word of God. Receive it in humility of heart, with an open mind and heart, receive it. The engrafted word, grafting into our heart, and in, grafted into our heart and into our mind. I'm not, I've not done grafting myself. I know um, I'm familiar with it, but a, a grafting takes a, a branch from another plant or a tree and puts it into and combines it, connects it to a branch of an existing tree, and now that tree brings forth fruit that it didn't normally bring forth. But it's more than just, the picture I see is that it, it's embedded it's, it's, it's ingrained. It becomes a part of. The, the sap flows through. The energy flows through. It's not just something that's fastened on with a tack or a magnet or a piece of scotch tape, but it's engrafted and becomes a part of it. And that's what he's saying. Receive with a heart of humility the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. You know, the gospel is so full of of the goodness of God and the positivity of, of him and who, what he wants to do for us. This word is able to save our souls. And he calls us. Let me, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Focusing a little bit more on the word that is able to save our souls. If you could even meditate on that thought for a moment. Save our souls. The word of God can save our souls. There's nothing else out there that can do that. The word of God is the best that is out there. Verse 25 calls, refers to, to it as the perfect law of liberty. <clears throat> That's what we're supposed to mirror ourselves in, into, as Marcus mentioned in the opening comments. Look into the word. Let the word be our mirror and receive it and engrafted into our hearts and lives. <clears throat> then be a doer of the word and not hearers. Remember, hearing produces results. Hearing produces a response in our lives. Hearing and understanding produces positive results. It's foolishness to know the word and to not, and for it to not change our lives. person that looks into the perfect law of liberty and walks away from it forgetting what he saw and what he heard and learned is is a foolish person but we are called to look into it and allow it to do its work in our lives and to allow it to change us and I'm intentionally skipping verse 27 because that's a whole subject in itself that we could talk about some other time in summary This chapter starts out by admonishing us to be patient through the trials of life, be persistent when we face temptations life. And then he goes on to remind us who the source of all good is, and it's by God's goodwill, his sovereign will and word of truth that we can belong to him. And with this in mind, be swift to hear, 
slow to speak and slow to wrath. Be doers of the word. Let's kneel for prayer.